So here we are, we're back, we're getting ready to start a new series. I'm excited the direction that, that the Lord is taking us, and, and you have to understand, I, um, you've been here long enough to know, Foursquare is not really about preaching Foursquare, about preaching our denomination. We preach Jesus, and in that we believe that He is our Savior, He's our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, He's our healer, and He is our soon-coming King. All glory all honor go to Jesus. But I am also thankful for this covering of uh, men and women uh, who are in leadership and what God, we feel God has called us to, to worldwide missions. You know, you've heard the statistic, 93, 92, 94%, something like that, of Foursquare churches are outside of the United States of America. And Foursquare is just exploding across the world with people coming to Christ. And I hope to have you some of those numbers over the coming weeks. But um, we're in a very healthy place, spiritually, leading people to Jesus, even financially. Uh, you know, there was a while where, you know, we weren't doing too well financially. There was just nothing immoral going on. Just we hit the, who didn't hit the 2008 uh, market where it kind of took us into a bad place. But we have recovered. God's favor has been upon us. And um, we've adjusted some things to where there's not so much money going to this corporate structure anymore, but instead there's a return of the tide that's coming back to the mission field, to the district offices, to the local churches. And so what we are doing now, let's just say the money that we give back is a percentage of our tithe. I don't want to bore you with everything, but we are commissioned to use that on uh, church mission, uh, leadership development, things that expand God's kingdom, because that's what, that's what it's all about. So I just want to come back to you over the next few weeks. You're going to be hearing some things, but what we really heard, and actually I prepared this message and we had talked about the whole theme of this year is we're, we're focusing in on Jesus Christ, who is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. The theme of the conference was transformed by Jesus. Now, who does the transforming? Well, yes, it's Jesus, but he does that through his Holy Spirit. We are empowered, as Acts 1.8 says, we are empowered to witness. And how that looks is sometimes it may be laying hands on the sick and they recover. Uh, it may be the miraculous. It may be just leading someone to Jesus. Man, how amazing is that? But we have been transformed ourselves so that we can go out and transform other people by the power of the Holy Spirit through just through the name of Jesus and, and for what he has done for us. So I am so thankful, even as we're getting ready to go into this series, we're going to be talking about evangelism. There's your church word today, uh, your Bible word for today evangelism and how important is evangelism and we're going to get some we're going to bring this down just some really practical things over the next six weeks including today it'll be a total of a six-week series but when we hear the word evangelism you know I can tend to to clam up and am I the only one you know you tend to clam up a little bit when you're sharing your faith or the the, the thought of that but my prayer is that this message frees really frees our mind because often I think that is our stumbling block. We began to think, well, what if, what if, what if they do that? What if they don't accept it? What if, but you know, to really free up our mind, but also to be empowered in our spirit and in our soul as we are um, talking about evangelism. I want you to think about this for a moment as we're beginning this series, Go Fish. 
By the way, I want to, they're not here now, but um, Gail and Melody are responsible for this decor up here. There's a fishing rod, there's a sign that says gone fishing, there's a tackle box here. And I didn't tell first service this because I had forgotten about it. But if you come up and look closely, there are actually three goldfish in here. That's pretty cool, huh? I mean, like we have fish and we have church fish. How many churches can say that? We have church, Mary, we have church fish here. So um, I just hope we remember to feed them. Um, or yeah, so, but anyway, I love what they have done here. I love the decor and I want all of this to bring our attention to what Christ has called us to, and that's to go fishing. Let me ask you this. How many fisher people do we have in here? How many of you like to fish? Yeah, your family is here from Colorado. You do fly fishing and stuff like that, just regular fishing. Yeah. So I do, I do a little bit of fishing, but among fisher people, people, men, women, you have different categories. You'll have your avid fishermen. I mean, they're out. If, if they have a spare hour, they're out, man, they're sinking. They're drowning a worm, you know, if they're out there um, or their bait or whatever it is they have. Then you have folks like myself who we're just occasional fishermen. We know enough just to get the hook stuck in our finger. Um, don't know a whole lot about fishing. Then you have those folks who don't want to touch a worm. They don't want to touch a fish. They, you know, let me go to Food Lion and I will get my fish there. And then you have people who um, don't care for fish at all. Now, in Seattle this past week, I, I enjoy fish. I enjoy seafood, uh, certain types of seafood. I'm, oddly enough, I don't like crab legs or lobster. How weird is that? Jessica, I know, right? I just, I can't do that. But regular fish, I, I like that kind of stuff. Here we are in Seattle. I mean, this is the place where you go and they're throwing fish as you're walking through, you know, and they have all the fish and crabs and lobster and weird looking things that are set up and they're on ice. But my family, people, my family doesn't like fish. And so we're passing all these aromas of fish baking and cooking and frying. And I'm like, I want to go in there. And they're like, well, where's the hamburgers? You know, where's the Italian? Where's the Mexican? Where's this? Where's that? So fortunately, we did go to a little restaurant where I was able to get some fish. You know, it wasn't like fish. But that's the type of family that I live in. They're not, so there's all types of people, whether you're an avid fisherman, somewhat of a fisherman, no fisherman at all, uh, no fish at all. There, there's, there's all types of people. And we're going to see how this even translates into our Christian faith at times. There's times where, and there's people within our fellowship who are avid fishers of men, as the Bible calls it. I mean, every time you hear them, they're witnessing to somebody. You know, you see them talking to the you know the the little cutout cut cardboard of a race car driver in Walmart, and they're trying to lead them to Jesus. Like, dude, that's not real. But there's those types of people. They will minister to a brick wall, and then you have some who occasionally will will share their faith. You know, and and, and it's all good, right? Then there's others, and we've all been here as well. That you just, we're just kind of scared at times. We're like, oh, I don't know if I can share my faith because look at my life and what will they say and all that. And then others of us, we we maybe like to be associated with people who who like to fish in that sense. In other words, we're the ones who like to go to Food Lion to get our, our fish as opposed to catching it, filleting it, and all those kind of things. We're going to look at all of these avenues and see how God can grow us in each of these avenues and just see the different um, ways that God can use us. I had a good conversation with Sarah in between services today. And, um, you know, there's, there's some folks that will bait the hook and they'll cast and they, they reel it in, but there's nothing on the line. And the person right beside of them is bringing in two fish at a time. You're like, well, Lord, what's wrong with me? So there's even those, as, as the Bible says, there's some who you just plant the seed. 
There are some who water, and there are some who bring in the harvest. But here's the thing. All three of those people have to speak. They have to say something. So you may not be... Here's the great thing as a pastor, that when, when people come to Jesus on Sunday morning and our services and we get to celebrate, you know how much of a role I've had in their life? Usually zero. I'm just the one who gets to say, if you've never received Jesus, could you please let us pray with you today? Who's done all the work? Well, you have because you brought them. Their grandma has because she's been praying for them. So we all have a role in the kingdom of God, but we share the good news of Jesus Christ. So think about what you ask God for the most. Did I ask you to do that already? Think about what you ask God for the most, just for a moment. Okay. For me, it's things like provision. Before I was married, I prayed for a good spouse. Now that I am uh, married and have children, I pray for my children. Now that I am grown, I pray for my mom. Uh, I pray for wisdom. I pray for favor. All those are great things. We need to continue to pray for those things. Okay, I want you to understand that as we're going through this study. Uh, I want you to understand what I'm, what I'm saying here. Think about the life that you were promised when you gave your life to Jesus. You know, maybe you heard the pastor say things like, if you come to Jesus, one, your sins will be forgiven. Hallelujah. But sometimes we even like to tag on other things that may not be a reality, such as all your problems will be gone. Oh, really? <laughs> how, many of you have, how many of you have had no problems since you've came to Christ? Raise your hands today. None, Right. Here's the thing, we're assured that we can make it through because we have Jesus as our helper at that point. But, and it's all within good intentions, but I've been a part of those services where we've been promised stuff that maybe wasn't necessarily biblical. If you do this, then this will happen. If, if you come to Jesus, then life is grand. And yes, it is. I, I love being a believer. I love my Jesus. And I love the blessings. I have so many blessings that I can't even contain or count. And I thank God for them every day. But that's not the reason that I was saved. The reason that I, have, I was saved, we're going to find here uh, in just a few moments. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. We'll be there in just a few moments. And we're going to find the reason that we were saved. When Jesus called the first disciples, he caught them by telling them that they would fish for men. Now let's look at their story here in a few moments. He didn't guarantee them a good life. They were fishermen by trade. While we all love to tell our stories, our fishing stories, right? We all like to do that. We often clam up, however, when it comes to telling the gospel story or our, our salvation story. So when Jesus called these first disciples, he, he's using this whole illustration of fishing because it's what they understood. So today, I'm not just speaking to the fishermen. We have all seen people catch fish, whether it be on TV, whether it be yourself personally. But we're going to translate this and how God wants us to live our lives. But, but again, now if you know, if, if, I, if I open this up for people who are avid fishermen to tell their stories, they would all tell stories about the big one. They would all tell the stories about the big one. You know, we like to do this, but actually the fish was that big. But we, if, we, if we hold our hands out this wide and point to the little, you know, it makes our story look a little bit better. So I know, Miss Kathleen, you and your husband like the fish too. We love to tell those stories. I want to become or get to the place where all of us 
tell our stories, not about the one that got away, but we tell our fishing stories in the sense of, one, Christ redeemed me, and so I have been able to tell other people about this, and they have chosen to give their life to Jesus, or they have begun to consider the fact that Jesus is real. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is our primary responsibility as believers. I want to I expound on this just for a moment. Point number one, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is our primary responsibility of believers. My primary role, let's talk, let's, since I'm up here, let's just talk about my role for a moment. My primary role is to be an evangelist, not a pastor. I do fill the role of a pastor, however. What is my job according to Ephesians? And just particular this, this area, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But ultimately, my responsibility is the job of an evangelist. While I am pastoring, and that's what I do, I evangelize. Let's translate this to you now. While you are whatever it is, you fill in the blank where your job is, while Matt is building engines, his primary role is to, in, in the kingdom of God, is to be an evangelist. Now, here's the thing. When Matt's at work, he has to make sure that he's building these Ford engines properly because if not, the Fords can't win the race on Sunday. So if Matt begins to let that slip, then what happens? Matt loses his job, right? So I want us to keep all of this in focus here for a moment. But he is an engine tester by trade. But his primary 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 responsibility, according to scriptures, is to be an evangelist. So he does his tests. He runs those particular things. He writes his reports when an engine breaks, rarely, because Matt doesn't break engines, unless they send him a bad part. Actually, Matt breaks a lot of engines. Just <laughs> all the people at work tell him he does. So, um, but his primary responsibility is to be an evangelist. How does he do that? Well, how does he act whenever he does break an engine? You know, it's, is the joy of the Lord evident in his life? How does Matt act at home when he's with his wife and kids? You know, what, what are people seeing? You see, his primary role is that of an evangelist. But what he does to make a living and to honor the Lord and to serve the Lord is right now he works at Roushate's Engines. Primarily... He's an evangelist. I want you to translate that to wherever it is that you are. I think of the stay-at-home moms. Man, you, you're a taxi driver. Come on, Jen Hillman. Although you do more than just stay at home, you work at a child care. But for the summer, you're a taxi driver. You're a clothes getter. You're a meal preparer. You're a come over here and do that. What else is she, Trey? No, Trey, you better keep your mouth quiet. Um, <laughs> primarily, though, Jen Hillman is an evangelist. When she's at the ball field, what does she do? She lives out her life so that other people can see and glorify God because of her life. And there becomes an opportunity where she gets to say, look how good my God is. Look what God did through my niece. You know, look what God did. See, we all have a story to tell. And our primary role is to tell that story, how God has been good to us, how God has saved us, how God has performed the miracle, miraculous in our family. And we lead people to Jesus. That's what we do. That is primary. 
2 Timothy, just write this down. I didn't have you turn here, but just write this down. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, just verse 5 says this. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. That's what Paul is telling Timothy here. And fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. What is the ministry that God has given you? And now let's, let's talk about Abundant Life for a moment. What ministry has God given you here at Abundant Life? Fully carry that out. Okay, let's, let's go outside the walls for a moment. What ministry has God given you outside the walls of Abundant Life? Fully carry that out. I want you to look at your workplace or your you know, destination, sports, whatever it is that you do. That is your mission field that God has given to you. Are you to crone your, uh, to um, bring in your craft, hone your craft, uh, to be the best that you can, to work hard? Absolutely. Because I'll promise you this, if all you're doing at work is talking to people about the Bible and stuff, you're going to get fired, right? The gospel is living out your life, and when you have an opportunity, telling the story. That's our primary role in whatever it is that we do. He says this, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given to you. Jesus' agenda for the, the, the first disciples is the same for us. Make disciples. He told them to go make disciples. He tells us, go make disciples. When we were first saved, Jesus had bigger plans for us than simply giving us a better life and making us better people. He wanted us to become ambassadors for him. Talk about a big role. We were in uh, D.C. last year for our, uh, our conference. Last year it was on the East Coast. And I can remember as we were walking up and down the roads, we would see um, uh, different cars. Like there would be black cars, like a, a, an entourage of six or seven or eight black cars. And they would have the flags. Remember that, Hannah? They would have the flags of a different nation on there. And typically they were filled with ambassadors and they were here to do a work. You see, church, we are ambassadors here in the United States is where God has placed us. In your neighborhood, call out your neighborhood. God has placed you here to be an ambassador to tell people about Jesus. That is our primary role that God has given to us. So he doesn't want to just give you, God doesn't want to just give you a better life, make you better people. It's a huge role. It, it's, it's a huge, I can't imagine the weight of responsibility that an ambassador has in another country. Usually it's to bring about peace. Usually it's to say, oops, we're sorry for what we did, you know. But ultimately it's to promote, hey, here's who we are. That's what we do. Hey, here's who our God is. So we promote these type of things. Well, I had you turn to Mark chapter 1. Let's look at verse 14. And I want us to see the first call that Jesus had upon his uh, disciples. Verse 14 says, Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the good news. The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now this verse right here, these couple of verses, comes just before... He calls these disciples. So he's talking about repentance. And that brings us uh, to what we just talked about here. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is our primary responsibility. Well, here's what we have to understand. Once we have been saved and our primary responsibility as believers is to preach the good news, we have to understand that repentance has always been a first step for God doing something big for his people. You know why God is able to work through me and you to bring other people to Christ? 
It's because, because of Jesus, God sees us as righteous. God sees us as holy. Now, do we do that on our own? Absolutely not. I know what my thoughts are. I know what my actions are. And at times they're not pure before the Lord. I know what my life was like before I gave my life to Jesus, and it wasn't the best. I didn't have a bad life. I mean, I was a pretty good kid, but you know what? I was still not saved. I was still not righteous and holy before the Lord. But as I repented, that was the first step in God doing something big in my life. For those of you who are believers in this room today, God has big plans for you that you cannot even imagine. And I'm not talking about standing up and preaching in front of crowds and throngs of people. I'm talking about you have the opportunity to at least bring one person into God's kingdom, guaranteeing that they have eternal life. And they get to be with you when you stand before the Father and say, thank you, Jesus, for eternal life. That's a big responsibility. And I pray that it's more than just one person. You know, as I'm looking here, I'm seeing the families and I'm seeing the influence. Parents, never underestimate the influence that you have on your children and them coming into the kingdom of God. This past week, as we were at conference, this is a little sidebar here. Um, there's always been the Barna studies and polls that have been out that talks about from the ages of 4 to 16 or something like that, that over 50% of people come to Christ, probably like 60 or 70, 85. 80, my wife, she's the Miss Statistics. 85% of people who come to Christ do so between the ages of 4 and 16, something like that. Never underestimate the influence that you have on your children. So if you evangelize anywhere, let it be within your home. See, here's the thing about your home, though. I can go out and I can tell somebody about God, but at home they see the way I live. So it's even a bigger responsibility, right? And, and God is calling us parents to take that responsibility seriously. It's a first step. Here's what I like to do. Again, we're still on the sidebar. We're off the notes for a moment. When I do mess up, I have to be able to go back to my kids and say, you know what? I wasn't very Christ-like. I don't say that wasn't very pastor-like. I don't tell my kids, you need to act better before you, because you're a pastor's kid. And can I just stay off onto the side and away from the notes for a moment? Thank you for not putting such a pressure on my kids to act right because they're pastor's kids. Right? There's been, man, there's been stories. I heard some this week. There have been stories of kids' lives who have been ruined because the church has such a high expectation on pastor's kids. I'm like, you know what? Let's have an expectation that they become men and women of God, not the way they act because of who they belong to. We're looking at whose they belong to. And they're, they're, they're children of, of God. Here's what I'm trying to say through all this. It's not our position and it's not our role necessarily, but it's how we are living out our life before God and before other people. We want to bring them to Jesus. All right, let me get back to my notes. Repentance has always been a first step for God doing something big for his people. When we continue to live in sin, we will not see God bringing breakthrough in our life. That's telling our story, the miraculous happening. Why is that? It's not that God won't do it when we're sinning. It's that he can't. Because he's kind of set up this agreement. He set up this covenant. 
And it talks about, you know, let me be your Lord. Let me be your Savior. Let me remove your sin. And you read through Deuteronomy. And of course, I know we're not under the law anymore, but translate that over to the New Testament as well. There were so many times where God was not able to move because of sin that was present in the life of his people. And so what he's saying is, you have a message to tell. You have a big responsibility. The first step, one of the first steps is repentance before the Lord. So when we wake up, Lord, use me today. May I be a clean vessel that you can use. And God will do the miraculous on your behalf. Isn't that awesome? That God can use you? Let's keep going in Mark chapter 1. Now this is where he calls the disciples. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, I keep kicking this down here, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Verse 18, and they left their nets at once and they followed him. Jesus' call to his first disciples was not to make them better people. It was not to call them to be more disciplined, etc., etc., etc. He first told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So they knew right off the bat what their responsibility was. Now, did they need to be cleaned up? Are there things that they needed to work on? Yes, absolutely. That, that, that's true, that those things need to happen. But right off the bat, Jesus wanted them to know, when you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Are you ready for the ride? Well, let's look at their response here. He first told them to be uh, fishers of people. But their response was one of total irresponsibility. The disciples, the first ones he called, they were so irresponsible. They abandoned all kinds of things. They left work to do the business of God. Let's keep going. I'm going to explain this a little bit more. Verse 19. A little further up the shore, so Jesus had just gotten his first couple guys to follow him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Here we see more irresponsibility happening as Jesus was calling people to follow him. Leave the family business. Leave your dad in the boat to take care of the fish. There was nothing responsible about that, was there? But I believe this is what God was bringing about. When we follow Jesus, we are to do so with reckless abandon, to go after what he has called us to do. Now, let me just say this. It doesn't always mean leaving your job. It doesn't always mean that. However, it could what if God's call upon your life, and I sense this in first service really strong, um, and, and I believe even in this service today, that there have been people, you have heard the Lord telling you, it's time to follow Jesus with this kind of reckless abandon. Now, I'm not talking about irresponsibility in the sense of you're not praying through this, you're not relying on the Holy Spirit. But can I assure you, when you know that you know that you know that you know that you know for you right now to pursue Jesus in a vocation that maybe take you away from the job that you're doing now. You know, God does that. 
There's a couple of examples I shared first service of uh, Jeff Burris. Jeff is, um, he's the guy who was responsible for the transition between Pastor Bob, who was the, by the way, he says, hello, I just saw him at the conference this week. He, he was pastor here, and then Stasha and I came in, and a great transition. Uh, but anyway, Jeff uh, kind of oversaw that. He brought us in, worked with the elders and the council, and, and brought us in. Jeff left a six-figure job. He didn't just work at UPS. He managed a whole hub, so he made good money. God called him into full-time vocational ministry, and he became a pastor over in Kannapolis, Concord, Kannapolis area. You know what people told him? You're stupid. Why would you leave a six-figure job to go into ministry? Larry Morgan, he's another guy that, that we knew. Same thing. He worked at an electric, he was an electric salesman, uh, sold all kinds of parts to people like Mike to put stuff up and probably made six figures. I don't know. He made a lot of money uh, in what he did. Same thing. God called him. My question is, is God calling you? That's not for everybody, okay? That's not, this word is not for everybody, but I think it may be for, for one or two folks who are saying, you know what? God has been talking to me about this for a while, and you've even begun to make steps. I want you to be bold enough to follow the call of God. Where is God leading you? Is now the time to step out and do it? He called these disciples here, and they left with reckless abandon. Now, for the rest of us, God is still calling us to reckless abandon. It may not be leaving your job, but it's saying, all right, Lord, I'm hearing your call loud and clear, and I will declare your message to those that you have placed around me. God is calling us to that. Today, millions of people have followed Jesus, probably more than that, billions maybe, throughout the 2,000 years. A lot of people have followed Jesus. They understood that to follow Jesus is to fish. I think it would be, the, by the way, the, the, the author of this particular study that, that I'm reading uh, this, getting a lot of information from, he, he was a little more brash in the way he kind of delivered some things. Um, basically saying things like, you don't have an option to not fish. There's no option for that. To say, I'm just going to be someone who comes to know Jesus and, you know, live the rest of my life and be thankful for when heaven comes. There's not an option to not fish. There's not, a not, there's not an option to not tell your story. And as we said at the beginning, you may not always see people come into the kingdom, but there's not an option to, to not fish. Even if you don't like fishing. Now, Stasha is not an eater of fish, but we've been out before with the boys a while back, and, and I think you fished, right? And so I think she even touched the fish, which was pretty amazing. And the worm, I think you even put a worm on the hook. Yeah, she did. She's got like about to throw up up here. But there's not an option when you have been called by God to not fish. It's just, it's not an option, Mr. Stowe. It's not an option. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, when I don't tell my story then how many countless people have not heard the gospel and potentially will not be able to enter into heaven? Now, can God send people their way? Absolutely. But what if I have not 
What if I've chosen to not do that? He even, the author, and again, I'm not quite this brash, but he says things like, how selfish to not share the hope that you have been given. Nick Vojevic was down at Grace Covenant, and he was actually in Seattle as well. He's the guy, he has no arms and he has no legs, but he has led millions of people to Christ uh, going around the world. And he shares this exact same idea that it, it's, it's our, we have a responsibility. We have to go share the gospel. It's up to us. Because Jesus, where's Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's not going to be down here on earth physically telling people about himself. Your responsibility, he says. Here's some of the people that, that Jesus uh, used in the Bible. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, the former people who were demon-possessed. These people didn't just become followers of Jesus. They became fishers of people for Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't just call those who had it together. I asked the first service this, what does that even mean? <laughs> people who have it together. You know, when I think of people who have it together, I, I start to think of Tommy, but then I'm like, well, maybe not. You know, Tommy maybe thinks of me and he's like, no, maybe not. And then I look here and I'm like, well, maybe not. And then I look at Christian and I'm like, well, Christian seems to, well, but then, and then I start judging people, right? And we don't want to be judging people and looking at this and that. Jesus doesn't just call those who have it together. He called all kinds of people who were messed up. Look at Paul. He killed Christians. He was messed up. Jesus calls all kinds of people to fish for people. God's goal for you Point two is to be a fisher of people. Many of us became Christians, frankly, and I, I want us to, I'm, I'm, let me speak for me for a moment, for, for maybe Franklish, for, uh, for, for selfish reasons. And it was the fault of the people who led us to Christ. Let me point that out. We were promised things like heaven, our emptiness would be filled, rescued from our problems. If you come to Jesus, all these blessings would be yours. Now, is all that stuff true? Absolutely it is. Yes, we receive blessing when we come to the Lord. Um, you know, there's, maybe we'll suffer. We have these problems we've been suffering, and, and Christ helps us to straighten those things out. And that is wonderful. But I think about Dean. He and his wife are now ministering with the, the kids in the back right now. But when I, when I think of Dean, here in the United States, we're told, you know, if you'll, Doug, if you'll just come to Jesus today, all your problems will go away. Things will be right. But when Dean went and ministered in Niger last year, they couldn't tell that story because when you become a believer in Niger, all of a sudden you have a death threat on your life because it's Muslim dominated. And if you come to Christ, that's it. So we can't necessarily tell people if you come to Jesus and Jesus didn't do this, all these things will disappear. No, he says, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now, let me put this little thing in here, too. Do I enjoy an amazing, blessed life? Has the Lord really just brought some favor and, and just caused things to line up? Absolutely, He has. You can tell me stories of where God has been good to you. Is that true? Yes. But don't forget, we're talking about the primary reason that we were saved. It was not for those things. Those are a blessing. But our primary reason was to tell others about Jesus and what he has done in us. God's goal for you 
is to be a fisher of, pers- of people. And so I want to make sure that my reason for becoming a believer is not selfish, but it is motivated to serve Christ. Followers of Jesus fish. Temporary things usually take all of our attention, right? <laughs> Temporary things. What do I mean by that? Well, we pray about these things the most. Pray about our marriage, relationship with our kids, our finances, our career, our health. We pray about those things. Let me say again, that's good to pray about. Everybody with me this morning? Those things are good to pray about, right? But let me assure you, as your pastor, I want to encourage you. Your marriage will end one day. What do you mean by that, pastor? Well, we're all going to die, so at that point, till death do us part. Your relationship with your children will end one day. What do you mean by that? Well, we're all going to die, so we'll be in heaven and this earthly relationship won't exist. Your finances will mean nothing one day. What do you mean by that? Well, one day we're going to no longer be in this world and other people are going to get your money. That's why you should spend it all now. No, don't do that. I'm just, just teasing. Yes. You know that car you've been wanting? Just go get No, that's horrible advice. Horrible advice. Your health that you've been working so hard, and yes, should we exercise, should we take care of ourselves? You hear me, I'm not discrediting any of that. What I'm saying is, what is of primary importance? All of this will end, and here's the reality. Eternal value is only found in bringing others to Jesus, because while all those other things eventually pass away, we need to be wise stewards of those things, all right? But they will pass away. Eternal value is that souls last for eternity. Who are you telling about Jesus? And again, please don't go out of here today and say, Pastor told us we didn't have to be responsible with our family, our finances. No, no, you you hear what I'm saying. We're talking of primary importance today. By now, you may be thinking this. I'm a pastor. It's my job. It's easy for me. I'm going to show you why you have it easier to preach the gospel than I do. And here's why. Here's where that thinking is wrong. See, people expect me to evangelize when they find out what I do. When I come up to people who don't know Jesus at the race shop and, you know, they're a new employee there and they're like, hey, this is uh, David, he's the chaplain who comes around here. And they're all of a sudden, you can almost see their body language if they don't know the Lord. They kind of tense up. Yeah, my second cousin's aunt was, went to church one time. <laughs> they start coming up with all these type of things, you know. Yeah, I drove by a church one time and they really get tense. So I'm at a disadvantage. When we used to do racing ministry full-time, we were invited to all the weddings. They could not wait for me and Stasha to leave so they could bring out the keg, you know. And we were like, just, why, why are you, why, why? People would tense up around us. But when you are in the place where God has called you to, on the job site, with your families, and all of a sudden somebody's talking about a difficulty that they have, All of a sudden, bam, you haven't put people on the defensive and you can just introduce Jesus. And let me tell you, I went through that same situation and I started to pray about it and God got me through. And I had struggles, man, I had pain. I had a little bit of uh, just anxiety during that time, but God took it away. And all of a sudden they're like, tell me a little bit more about that. So see, as a pastor, usually I'll get the clamming up from people. You don't have the same. So I want to encourage you Take advantage of those opportunities because you're just living life with these folks. Isn't that amazing? You ever thought about that? We all have a story to tell. 
When people see your horrible past, it actually sees more than a polished past. Because maybe they can identify with you just a little bit easier. He's been where I've been. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. God will leverage what is temporary for something that is eternal. You got money? Somehow leverage that, whether it's through conversation or being blessed. Being blessed, bless other people. Do you, are you good at relationships? Leverage that, you know? I think I keep picking on Jen Hillman this morning. She is the mayor of Mooresville, people. If you've ever been to a ballpark with her, there's not a person you don't know. What an amazing opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Leverage what is temporary for something that is eternal. In your neighborhood, at work, and we'll go with Jen here, at the ballpark, because you guys are there a lot. You have an amazing opportunity to share your story. Where are you a lot? There's your mission field. Tell people about Jesus. Follow me. I will make you fishers of people. Finally, somebody did it for you. Think about the person who told you about Jesus. You probably hold them in high esteem and with a lot of thankfulness. You can be that person to someone else. It only takes the message to bring people to Jesus. I'm sorry, it not only takes the message to bring people to Jesus, it takes a messenger. And you're a messenger. So I want you to get your fishing rod and your bait ready. When you go out today, before you eat your meal, I want you to pray. And before you pray, I want you to look at your waiter, your server, your waitress. Hey, we're getting ready to pray for our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? You've just planted a seed at that moment. Living the Christian life is more than being a good person, being healthy, or being disciplined. It involves all of that. Please hear me today. It involves all of that. But it's more than that. These are temporary adjustments, and they are good adjustments. Your faith will prompt you to do things. But just don't lose sight of evangelism. It's what God called us to do. We said this at the beginning of last year, and we continued it through this year with our vision. The busier we get, the first two things that go are prayer and evangelism. What are you busy at? Use that opportunity to turn it into evangelism. You're there. You might as well evangelize, right? Redeem that busyness. <laughs> Followers of Jesus fish. Be on the lookout for people who need him. You will find them if you are looking. I know fishermen spend lots of money and research to find fish. They'll, find, they'll buy fish finders, boats, rods, lures. There's a lot of money in fishing. What are you investing into the kingdom of God to bring people to Jesus? Today, God is giving you permission to go fishing. 